from Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvigate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvigate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvigate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Law 101 series. I'm your host, Christy Paredes, and on today's episode, we will be discussing criminal law with Professor Russian, who we are very excited to have on the podcast with us today. Professor Russian, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. Uh, my name is Stephen Russian. Um, I teach criminal law, evidence, and police accountability here at Loyola. Um, I've been at Loyola now. This is year number six. Um, I'm also the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs, which basically just means that I handle academic policy matters and uh, scheduling and hiring and managing part-time faculty um, and all those kind of fun tasks. Great. Thank you. And to start off, can you please give us an overview of the criminal law course that you teach? Sure. So um, I'm sure the listeners here are probably all either law students or interested in going to law school. So, you know, criminal law is one of those foundational courses that every single 1L takes uh, in their first year in law school, mostly all across the country. Um, It's designed to teach students about the basic elements of a statute. So things like mens rea, actus reus, uh, causation, attendant circumstances, uh, some of the basic elements of uh, some basic crimes. So in my class, we primarily talk about homicide, um, as well as uh, doctrines like attempt and complicity and defenses like self-defense, necessity, uh, duress, and legal insanity. So it's sort of the foundational course uh, that is designed to provide students who are interested in working in the criminal justice field, like the real basics on how the criminal law part of that system works. I noticed that you mentioned some terms that may seem foreign to first-year law students. Um, I wanted to know, how is it that you approach teaching criminal law to students that have no prior legal experience? Yeah, so one thing I adamantly believe in, and I think my students can attest to this, who have taken my classes of all different types, is I do not believe in hiding the ball. Um, I adamantly believe that it's my job as a professor to clearly explain what the black letter law is. In criminal law, I think it's really important to talk about uh, the historical underpinnings of various doctrines, because if you don't understand kind of where the doctrines come from, some of the terminology that we use may seem odd or out of place. Uh, So it's important to kind of have that really basic historical underpinning so you can understand how the doctrines evolved over time and how we arrived at the, the solution we have right now. Um, In addition to that, I try to lay out lots of examples in class. I try to spend a lot of my class time illustrating the ambiguities raised by the rules rather than uh, just trying to encourage students to learn the rules. So I think my job as a professor is to give you the information and then to uh, kind of show you where the rules break down and where there's ambiguity and nuance in the application of those rules. How do you think the study of criminal law fits into the broader study of law and legal theory? Oh, gosh. So I would say, you know, um, let's see, put simply, um, you know, a not insignificant number of our students are going to become prosecutors, defense attorneys, public defenders, things like that. So, you know, for those folks, criminal law is just a foundational course if they're interested in pursuing that line of work. I'd also say that, you know, 
criminal law is obviously just like criminal procedure covered on the bar exam. So since the overwhelming majority of our students intend to become lawyers and to work in the legal field, it's something everyone should uh, really care about. Um, I'd also say that the field of criminal law generally is unique among the study of law that students are going to undertake over their three years in law school. And I, and I say this to all my criminal law students because you know, criminal law is the one area where we have the ability to incarcerate people, to literally lock them up away from their family, friends, and society. And in some cases, we have the ability to take their lives. Um, so it plays uh, a really unique role uh, in the spectrum of our broader legal system. Um, I also think, you know, we are a Jesuit university with an explicit social justice focus. So uh, criminal law plays, again, a fairly significant role in some of the systemic inequalities that you'll learn about in law school. So I think it's important for folks to have a general understanding of criminal law and the justice system um, in relationship to our law school's mission. How do you help students develop the ability to think critically about the law and legal concepts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I do that. Um, I try to do things to accomplish that goal, you know. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of time in class trying to, particularly later in the 1L semester of criminal law, to increasingly incorporate hypotheticals. Um, I try to focus on more modern cases as well as cases that have some historical significance. Um, I've also, one thing I do differently, I think, than some 1L criminal law classes, and certainly different than what I experienced in criminal law in my 1L year, is um, I try to present a decent amount of empirical data over the course of the semester. Um, you know, students probably don't know like the research backgrounds of all the faculty that I teach them. But uh, in my background, one of the things that I do for a living professionally, besides just teaching criminal law and doing academic administration stuff, is um, I do empirical legal research surrounding criminal justice outcomes. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how do we measure um, and quantify the effects of different criminal laws um, on society? Um, and I think being able to kind of present that information to students. Um, for example, what is the uh, racially imbalanced effects of a criminal justice policy that grants police officers more discretion? Um, it helps, I think, students think beyond just the doctrine on the page and think about like the, the real world consequences of the seemingly neutral decisions that we make in our justice system. What advice would you give to incoming law students who may be nervous about starting law school and taking courses like criminal law? Yeah, my, my first piece of advice I would say to that is like, don't be nervous. Like every single person admitted to our school belongs here. We're, you're admitted because you are fully capable, we believe, of doing the work. Um, so I hope that, you know, the nerves aren't based upon anything like that because you belong here. You're admitted. You have every ability to succeed, to be a successful lawyer and to pass the bar. Um, I think the one thing that I would, if I could go back and, you know, talk to myself whenever I was a 1L is I would say, don't underestimate yourself. Um, appreciate the fact that this is a really unique time in your life. It may not seem that way because it's so chaotic and there's so many competing demands for your time, but this is one of the rare times in your life when you have the ability to just spend your time thinking about these legal concepts, being exposed to them and learning. Um, it is such a unique chance to, um, to spend your days doing that kind of work. Um, I would also tell myself if I could go back, uh, spend time doing all the readings. Um, again, there's, uh, there's so much to be learned during your law school career, and it's the one time you can really focus exclusively upon learning. Um, so I would tell myself, you know, you're capable, you can do this, you belong here, uh, but also, you know, put in the work, spend the time it takes to do the readings um, and learn as much as you possibly can over those three years. And since we're kind of on the theme here of working smarter, not harder, 
Do you have any advice on how to synthesize the material from the lectures and the reading? Sure. So one thing, and I can mostly speak for the criminal law space rather than other spaces. So in criminal law, you know, I think students sometimes get bogged down in trying to learn every single state's rule in every single case as if it's like something that's critical to their understanding of the concept, rather than kind of understanding that the readings are examples and they're designed to help you get to understand the broader concept. So one thing I had to kind of learn as a 1L was I may have different versions of my notes. I have the version of notes that I develop whenever I read and listen in class. It's kind of like the like everything on the page, everything I read. But then part of my job was to synthesize that down to what are the black letter concepts that I just have to know. Um, and that the cases are often just illustrations of those concepts, particularly in a class like criminal law, where the cases are more um, individual state variations on whatever general rule we're talking about in class. So I think if I was going to go back and talk to myself as a 1L taking, say, criminal law, I would say the specifics or the, the very specific facts of every single case you read, every single state application of their unique law is not that important, actually. They're just illustrations. What's really important is the rules and the rules you can derive from them and then how the court is applying that rule to their unique factual circumstance. That's what really matters. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, like um, the color of someone's jacket in the case we read about in the third week of class. It doesn't matter. I don't care about that. You know, uh, no one's going to care about that in the future. But it does, it does matter whether or not you understand things like uh, what knowingly, intentionally, purposefully, recklessly, what those terms fundamentally mean whenever you see them in criminal statutes. Can you describe a particularly challenging or interesting case you've covered in your criminal law course and how you approach teaching it to your students? Yeah, so I'm trying to think, a really interesting one. You know, I may not, it may not be a case, although I guess it would be a series of cases, Apprendi, Booker, and Blakely that we talk about in 1L Criminal Law, um, but they're all cases that deal with the teaching of sentencing guidelines. That is something I think I found in my 1L Criminal Law classes that a lot of students have historically struggled with understanding what is a sentencing guideline? What are these complex constitutional rules upon the right to a jury trial and the appropriate standard um, that a jury versus a judge should be making on uh, deciding factual matters surrounding uh, sentencing. So, you know, what I've decided to do over time was I didn't do this earlier on when I was teaching, but I do it now, which is I've done some my some of my own uh, original empirical research with the president of the Alabama Sentencing Commission and a separate co-author. Um, and that research basically looks at in a state like Alabama, which is very unique because they over time employ different types of sentencing guidelines and they have a sentencing commission that keeps robust statewide data that allows for researchers like myself to investigate what is the effect of different changes in procedure and law. And I found that it's it's sometimes easier for students to grasp the stakes of a case like Apprendi or a case like Booker and Blakely if um, I provide them with like a real world example. It's not just, you know, um, one set of facts and then some complex idea like sentencing guidelines and then a bunch of constitutional debates upon the scope of the right to a jury trial. It's instead, okay, here's what Alabama did. Here's what their first set of sentencing guidelines looked like and what it required. Here's a second set of sentencing guidelines and what they required. Here's a third one. And now let's look at a data set uh, of 220,000 plus criminal cases from 300 plus judges over 15 years or so. And let's see, whenever we put each rule into place, 
Um, what did that mean for the outcome of criminal sentences? Um, and I think that sort of um, taking theoretical concepts and then trying to make them concrete for students and also illustrating to them that these are more than just random procedural choices. They're choices that have real consequences for people on the other end of that procedure um, for the amount of time that they may have to spend in prison for similar criminal charges. Um, so I think that's you know one example of where I've tried to, consistent with my own expertise, um, present real world information um, that takes the legal concepts surrounding those cases and kind of shows what it means in the real world in a place like Alabama, a state that had to employ and follow those rules. How do you balance teaching legal theory and doctrine with the practical skills necessary to succeed on the final exam? Yeah. So if you're in my criminal law class, my first big recommendation is I post asynchronous videos in the past and sometimes hold review sessions in person about how to do well on the exam. And I cannot emphasize enough take advantage of those. You know, that's literally the person who is doing the grading telling you what you should do. In your experience, what are some common mistakes students make on exams and how can we avoid them? Um, but just speaking generally, I would say across criminal law evidence, other classes I've taught over the years, maybe the single biggest source of students losing points is uh, when they miss critical issues on an issue spotter. And sometimes I think that's not, this is not just because they don't recognize facts and the legal significance of those facts, but sometimes students just, when they see the facts, they're not triggered in their mind to think that's an example of say complicity or an example of attempt or facts that could speak to self-defense or duress or something like that. So one recommendation that I make is um, on exams, the use of checklists. Um, to make sure you have a good idea of a plan going into the exam of everything you want to talk about. And what you'll find is that making those checklists effectively forces you to take that big body of notes you have and to like distill it down to just the big concepts that you know are most important that you feel like on a good issue spot or answer, you would talk about most or all of those concepts. But my class, that would include, you know, you probably know you want to talk about things like first degree murder and second degree murder and voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter and all the various defenses and attempts, et cetera. And if you're not talking about a substantial number of those, they're probably there. Um, and it's a good reminder to use that kind of checklist as a way to go back and uh, make sure you're not missing critical issues. Um, other thing I would say is on my exams, at least, and I think this is this is mostly true on like bar exam questions, too, is that most all the facts you're given, the facts are not just incidental. They're given to you because the way it's phrased has legal significance. So you can almost go back and break down each fact and ask yourself, you know, why is this fact here? Why is this being presented to me? And where does this implicate some doctrine I've talked about? Um, that's not true for every class, but it's definitely true for mine. Um, and I think it's generally true as you prepare for bar study. Other one last thing I'll say is students sometimes feel as if they have to, on my exam, um, have definitive answers to everything. Some things you're don't, you don't have enough facts to have a definitive answer or the honest, most you know truthful answer is that it depends. It's ambiguous depending on how a jury may interpret some various facts that I presented to you. Um, and because of space limitations, we don't have a full factual record like a trial that I can give you on an issue spotter. All I can really give you is like enough facts to give you and trigger your knowledge about various doctrines. Um, but the best answer may be, you know, 
We don't have enough to know whether or not, say, this was provocation to allow for a murder to be mitigated to a manslaughter. So a jury may have to decide whether or not a reasonable person would have been moved to act in a heat of passion based upon these facts. That ambiguity and that kind of arriving at a maybe answer is actually a demonstration of your expertise. It is not a flaw in any way. So I think some students just think that if they don't have a definitive 100% confident answer that they're struggling or missing something, no, they're often that's a sign that they're actually providing a nuanced answer that demonstrates better comprehension of the legal concept than their peers. Do you have any advice on time management during the final exam? Yeah, the other thing that I tell my students, at least in my class, and again, this is something where you gotta know what your professor is looking for and what their format is. In my class, um, I ask students to manage their own time. Um, I provide recommendations for various sections on like how much time I would spend on the issue spot or multiple choice, the policy question. Um, but it's really up to them to decide how they want to allocate their time. But I do say, you know, you are in most classes better off trying to get to all the material than you are spending like an inordinate amount of time on one small section of the exam. If that means you're not going to get to provide any kind of a thorough answer to the other parts. Look, Law school exams are timed and they're curved. And what that means by definition is you are competing against your peers and that chances are you'll see the weightings of how every professor weights their final exam. But at least in mine, it's weighted pretty evenly. There's not like one section that's like worth a huge portion of the points. They're all weighted pretty similarly. So um, if you are spending all your time on one particular section that's only worth 30%, and that means you're not going to be able to provide much of an answer at all to the other 70%, that's a problem you're better off providing a less thorough answer to that 30% that just shows your knowledge and then moves on and then make sure you're providing a reasonably sufficient answer to the other 70% of the exam. So there's always that tension, but I just say my class at least, and I think in most law school classes, you just have to kind of hold yourself accountable for time um, and then provide the best answer and analysis you can in the limited time you actually have. And one last question. What do you think are the most important concepts or skills that students should master in your course? Yeah, so most important skills is I want every student to leave my course with a basic understanding of the black letter law surrounding the basics of criminal law. Meaning I want them to understand, you know, the act requirement, the, mens or the, the, the mental state requirement, basic understanding of causation and attendant circumstances, and then a general understanding of um, general crime categories surrounding homicide, attempt, and complicity. That is, those are the basic building blocks, I think, of being able to be successful in other criminal law courses in the future. So I want folks to have uh, that mastered um, as a baseline. Uh, beyond that, I hope that students will also take from my class at least some of the other kind of broad themes that I illustrate throughout the semester. Um, so one broad theme that I illustrate and I signal to my students in class number one and two in the semester is I tell them, you know, one thing, one theme you're going to see this semester is uh, the way in which the law, even if it's written in a neutral way, doesn't always have completely unbiased and neutral outcomes. And we have to be very, very cognizant of that as we uh, talk about how the law should be different, how the law should be written, um, and also the importance of discretion in the criminal justice system, that we we need discretion for the justice system to operate. Without any discretion, the system would be unjust in numerous ways. But discretion invites discrimination. Um, and there's so many illustrations of that in the justice system where I think understanding that, again, the, the outcomes of the procedural choices that we make 
affect people differently. Um, and, you know, being able to understand that concept, I think, gives students the grounding to have a better appreciation for some of the complex issues that are going to arise in later classes. So I think that grounding helps students understand a lot of what I then talk about in my police accountability class, whenever we get into the like the, the nitty gritty of how we procedurally regulate uh, police investigations, police tactics on the street, how we respond to police misconduct, and then all the ways in which that may facilitate or provide for allow for more misconduct by officers. Um, I think it provides a foundation for understanding criminal procedure or mass incarceration classes. I really feel like if you start to see those trends in criminal law, they then are extended in those upper division courses that I think also are central to our mission as a social justice oriented Jesuit institution. Great. Thank you so much, Professor Russian. Yeah, great. It was wonderful talking to you. That's all from us here at the Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvicate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvicate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvicate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Maritza Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neko Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Associate Director of Student Affairs, Professor Radhika Sutherland, and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.